Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. You're listening to the Engaging Missions Radio Show, Episode 53 with David Garrison. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Radio Show. If you care about missions, this is the place for you. Whether you're actively involved in ministry and missions, are considering missions, or serve God in the marketplace with a heart for God's kingdom, you're in the right place. Join us each week for inspiration, encouragement, resources, and so much more as we delight in the things that God is doing all around the world. Hi there, Brian Ensminger here. Before we get into today's interview, I did want to give just a little bit of an update because I promised that last week. So for those of you that have been following for some time, you know that I've been running some 5Ks this year to help raise funds for ministries and stuff like that. And I just wanted to let you know that I have registered for my next 5K and there will be a little bit more information coming out in the coming weeks. Uh, If you'd like to, you can connect with me about that at engagingrun.me. And then also, I wanted to give a little bit of an update on my very first guest, who was Alan Smith. It was about a year ago that that interview went live, and I just wanted to share that he's still going strong. He's actually planning a trip to Israel uh, in the future, along with some other people from our church. And if you're interested in connecting with him, maybe finding a little bit more about what's going on in his life right now, I could direct you to coffeecupministries.org. And also, if you're interested in his interview, you can visit Engaging Missions dot com slash alan smith and with that we'll get into this week's interview all right let's get started I am really excited to have Dr. David Garrison on the line today. Now, if you're a regular subscriber to the show, you'll notice that our format's going to be a little bit different today. Uh, We want to focus a little bit more on a a book that he's published, and we'll talk about that in a second. And then also, if you'd like to follow along, you'll find the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash David Garrison. Now, Dr. Garrison has been a pioneer missionary with the Southern Baptist International Mission Board for over 30 years. He's the author and editor of half a dozen books on missions, and his most recent book, A Wind in the House of Islam, took him on a quarter-million-mile journey through the Muslim world where he discovered historically unprecedented number of Muslim movements to Christ. Garrison's book draws from more than a thousand Muslim-backed believers who answer the question, what did God use to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ? All right, Dr. Garrison, we've, we know a little bit about you. I'd like to go ahead and get right into this. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? Uh, yes, Brian, it's, uh, it's a privilege to be with you. Let me begin by saying, and uh, uh, just to share with your listeners what God is doing uh, in the Muslim world, or the House of Islam, as Muslims call it. Uh, I've been working uh, in Muslim evangelism in uh, the, the area called the 1040 window for the last 30 years. And uh, so I've, I've been in a position to actually see uh, when it was hard and when it was uh, toughest and when we had trouble finding any significant movements of Muslims to faith in Jesus. 
Jesus Christ. So over the last five years, uh, I've had this uh, growing awareness that uh, something unusual is happening. And a number of my colleagues in various mission organizations have uh, experienced the same thing. So about uh, three and a half years ago, I was approached by a foundation that said, uh, look, we're wanting to find out what's really happening. We would like to support you to uh, go and investigate find out how many movements there are and and where are they located, and really to ask the question, what is God doing to bring Muslims to faith in Jesus Christ today? I think if I'd known then, Brian, that that was going to lead me on a journey of a quarter million miles and take up the next two and a half years of my life, I might have turned and run the other direction. But looking back on it now, I really feel like... um, uh, like God gave me an unprecedented opportunity to see things that uh, just uh, two decades ago I could only have uh, dreamed about or, or, or prayed for. And now we're seeing God doing something. What we discovered was that uh, uh, through the course of uh, history, there's been uh, 82 movements of Muslims to Christ. Now, a movement we're defining is at least a 1,000 baptisms uh, or a hundred churches planted within a given Islamic community. And in the course of nearly 14 centuries, we found 82 of those. Now, the striking thing is that 69 of those are happening right now. So we're literally living in the midst of the greatest turning of Muslims to Christ in history. And that's that's what my book was uh, trying to investigate, trying to document, trying to understand. And I was able to do this by uh, encountering uh, uh, Muslims who have come to faith in Christ. We call these MBBs or Muslim background believers Mm -hmm. and simply asking them the question, what did God use to bring you to faith in Jesus Christ? And the result is my book, A Wind in the House of Islam. Okay. Now, for someone like me who's a complete outsider to this kind of thing, can you can you kind of put that into perspective? I don't necessarily want to I don't want to showcase numbers, but it helps me to understand sure. a little bit when we talk about the, you know, the greatest or perhaps the largest mm-hmm. movement of of Muslims to Christ. What are we talking about? Well, Brian, my training is as a church historian. I have a doctorate from the University of Chicago, and I knew if I wrote something that used superlative language, like the greatest, the most unprecedented, that I would surely get shot down if I didn't do my homework. So uh, I I did dig into this, uh, not only personally investigating, but also consulting with um, uh, missiologists, church historians, uh, demographers of religion uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast, everywhere in between, and uh, wanted to find out when have we seen times in history when this has happened before, when there's been at least a thousand baptisms within an Islamic community. And here's what we discovered. We discovered that uh, in the first uh, uh, five centuries of Muslim-Christian interaction, we have maybe two possibilities, and they're very sketchy. They're, they're very uncertain, and they were both assimilated back into the Muslim world. We don't really get the first significant documented Muslim movement to Christ until the late 1800s, you know, nearly 13 centuries after the beginning of Islam. Mm. And here's what's striking, Brian. During that same 13 centuries, there were literally millions and millions, likely tens of millions of Christians who were assimilated into the Muslim world. But we couldn't find even a single movement of a thousand Muslims who had become followers of Jesus Christ and baptized in a movement until 1870 in Indonesia. Another one takes place a decade later in Ethiopia. So that's two in the 19th century. You go into the 20th century and you don't get any more movements of Muslims to Christ until the last three decades of the 20th century. And there's 11 
movements of Muslims to Christ that wow. take place in those last three decades. Well, something's happening, clearly something unusual. But now in the first 13 years of the 21st century, we see an additional 69 movements that break out across the Muslim world. This is something that historically cannot be identified at any other time in history. Some 84% mm. of all Muslim movements to Christ are happening right now. That's, that's just astounding. In, you know, as, as a person living here in the States where, you know, the bulk of my news comes filtered through other people, whether it's the news media or people telling me about the news media, these are not the kinds of things that we hear about, right? Especially as it relates to the, to the Islamic world. Can you share with us in particular about what's going on with these movements? What's happening? Where are, we, where are you seeing it happening? And then how is this kind of thing happening? Well, you're, you're exactly right. The news media today, and I'm not in any way vilifying or demonizing the news media because it, it's reporting accurately. Things like ISIS, mm-hmm. things like Hamas and Boko Haram, Iranian nuclear threats, and all the things that we're hearing every day, those are real. Those are very legitimate. They're true. No one's exaggerating those things. But what they're not reporting on are things that, frankly, are off of their radar screen. They're part of God's news. <laughs> yeah. And there are things that are happening behind the scenes that really so many missionaries and Christian ministries that work in the Muslim world are aware of, but they have to be careful about what they publicize. And I have to do the same thing in my book. Yeah. I realized that uh, security had to be a high, high concern. Uh, Nonetheless, I wanted as a historian to be able to document what was going on. So I've got my own databases. I've got my files of photos. I've got my transcripts of testimonies. But what I tried to do to document where these were happening uh, was to look at the Muslim world and see it really the way it defines itself. You know, with 1.6 billion Muslims in the world, there's really far too many to talk casually about Muslims. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're different from West Africa to Indonesia, Central Asia, South Asia. They're all very different. Iranians are in conflict with Arabs and so forth. So I went through and I looked at what Muslims call the House of Islam. I divided it into nine rooms in the House of Islam or geopolitical clusters, like West Africa is one room in the House of Islam that's different from North Africa, which is likewise different from the Arab world, which is different from the Persian world and Turkestan and South Asia and Indo-Malaysia and Eastern Africa and so forth. What I discovered was that there were movements in each one of these nine rooms in the House of Islam. Now, in some, there's only one or two that we can clearly document one or two movements of at least a 1,000 Muslims being baptized and becoming followers of Jesus Christ. But in some rooms, there are literally scores of movements that are taking place. Uh, in one of the rooms we went into, we spent several weeks. We could have done interviews uh, 24-7 for days and days and days, each from different movements, because there were so many things happening in that room where people with names like Muhammad and Abdullah and, and uh, Fatima and Aisha were now followers of Jesus Christ and literally had said, I will lay down my life for Christ. Uh, So that's what's exciting is to realize that this is not limited to one small corner of the Muslim world or one type of Muslim. We're literally seeing this from one end of the House of Islam to the other. And God is at work. The wind is blowing through all nine rooms in the House of Islam. uh, That's I'm I'm actually a little bit lost for words because of just the <laughs> magnitude of what you're sharing. It's it's just amazing. One of the things as you were sharing that really kind of stuck in my mind is you know we we tend to think 
or at least I, I think maybe more appropriately that you know, we think of Muslims as co- kind of a group, but they're individuals. Mm-hmm. You're talking about Muhammad and Fatma and Abdullah, and these are real people. These are, these are individuals who, under fear of and, you know, possible persecution, possible death, possible um, all, all kinds of bad stuff, are choosing to follow Christ. What are the ways that God is working to draw these Muslims to Christ? And, and what are the barriers that they're facing? Well, those were the questions that I was asking. I in, in my book, I actually have in the second chapter the the very questionnaire that we used as we traveled through and gathered more than a thousand interviews. And I was trying to get cross section, so I got interviews from men and women, from old and young, from new believers, and from some who had been believers a little longer, from some who were urban, some who were uh, rural, some who were literate, and some who were non-literate, from Shiites and Sunnis and Sufis, you know, all the varieties of Islam that were coming to faith in Christ, because we really wanted to get a picture of how God was at work. Now, we asked them a lot of questions, Brian. We wanted to know things like, you know, their age and where they're from, their education, uh, what people group, what language they spoke. But we, our core question was this. What did God use to bring you to faith in Christ? Tell us your story. Mm-hmm. And then we would sit patiently and listen, and we would record these. Whenever we could, we would record it directly in their words and then have it translated and then have it uh, transcribed. And then we actually had to sanitize it after that, which by that I mean we'd go back and uh, we had a little code sheet, and we would change the place names, we would change the names of the individuals so that it couldn't be traced back and have someone put to death as, as a result of participating. But the things we discovered were uh, some of them were... Uh, what we would call it, you know, just obvious things like uh, it took the faith of someone going to them and sharing the gospel and believing that that gospel had a power to save them. It, it was often reflected in the prayers of people here in the West. Uh, one woman, for example, that we met in, uh, in, from North Africa, she said, you know, um, so many people are coming to Christ among my people group now. And I asked myself why, but it wasn't until I came out and I saw how many Christians around the world were praying for Muslims. And that's when I realized that those prayers were rising up to heaven And they were gathering up in the heavens, sort of like the monsoon clouds. And she said, now they're just raining down miracles on my people. I thought that was a beautiful picture of how our prayers, even though we don't see always what's going on, when we pray, when we participate in things, for example, like the 30 days of prayer for the Muslim world, uh, every year during the month of Ramadan, hundreds of thousands of Christians around the world say, if Muslims are praying and fasting that month, we're going to take that month to pray for them to pray that God will reveal his son to them. And that's exactly what we're seeing. Those miracles that this uh, Muslim background woman talked about uh, is the Holy Spirit's activity. And with the dreams and the visions, the answered prayers, the encounters with the living Christ, those were common in the stories that we experienced across the Muslim world. Uh, So it's nice to know that when you go to a difficult place to work with an Islamic people and they seem resistant or even hostile, to know that Jesus promised that when the Comforter comes, he will convict the world of sin and judgment and righteousness. And to know that that Holy Spirit has gone before us. And that's exactly what we're finding, that the Holy Spirit is revealing Christ and drawing people to Christ. Our role is to be there to explain to them who it is that they feel convicted about or why it is that they have this hunger and this sense of lostness in their heart and how Jesus can fill that. There's several of the bridges. I don't want to, uh, to to 
go on and on. But if you'd like, I can talk about more of the bridges that we discovered. Yeah, maybe one or two. I don't know that I want to give away the whole thing because I'd like for people to buy the book, right? No, that, <laughs> and, you know, that to really understand what's going on, they need to see uh, what we've done and what we've uh, captured because these, these uh, bridges that we've discovered really come out of the stories themselves. And uh, I hope that they'll see that it's sort of like the fullness of time. This is a special moment because just as faith and prayer and, and Holy Spirit activity, those are sort of the obvious things. There's some things that are new, things we had not anticipated, like uh, some breakthroughs that are going on now in the Muslim world, some ways that Muslims are coming to Christ through approaches such as any uh, 3 which stands for anyone, anywhere, anytime. It's an outreach that was developed in Southeast Asia that's seen nine generations of Muslim background churches planting churches. You know, a church plants a church that plants a church out nine generations with uh, thousands of Muslims who have come to Christ. Uh, the advent of uh, satellite television and radio. Uh, one of the surprises, and this kind of ties in with the news today that we're, we're hearing uh, on, on cable news and in our newspapers, is that Islam itself has within it the seeds of its own destruction. And that was a surprise to us. We didn't expect to find that many of the Muslims who've come to faith in Christ will say, it's because I compared Muhammad with Jesus, and I saw that there was no comparison. <laughs> or it was because of the violence within Islam itself that I knew that could not be God's will. Or in many cases, we actually had Muslims who said, <clears throat> you know, for years we had the Quran in Arabic. And even though we memorized it, we didn't really understand Arabic. But just in the last few years, the Quran has been translated into our language. And now it's actually being translated into languages all across the Muslim world. And I had a Muslim background believer who's become a wonderful evangelist. He said, you know, when I read the Quran in my own heart language, for the first time I realized that I was lost because the Quran had no plan of salvation. It had no explanation for what was going to happen to me because of my sins. It had no, no savior. It had no way of atoning for my sins. But I knew after I read the Quran in my heart language, I knew I was lost. And I went and I found a New Testament. And that's when I found Jesus. In fact, they, they'll even say in reading the Quran, I realized that Muhammad was only mentioned four times in the Quran, but Jesus was mentioned 96 times. Mm. The Quran tells me that Muhammad died and he's waiting for the resurrection. But the Quran also told me that Jesus is already in heaven with Allah. He's in heaven with God and that he will be there at the judgment. Well, these things said to me, I need to be ready for that. And those were some of the many things that gave them a hunger in their heart to know who this Jesus was. And that led them to the New Testament. And, of course, that's one of the other breakthroughs is that the Bible, the New Testament in particular, is being translated into Islamic languages in, 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 uh, in so many of the languages that for so long um, they didn't have the Scripture in their heart language. Or in many cases, Brian, they, they didn't know how to read and write. Illiteracy is a huge problem across the Muslim world. But today they can view the Jesus film in their heart language where they can get a, a storying Bible. There's many Bibles now that are being communicated in just the key salvation stories from creation to Christ. And they're hearing the gospel in their heart language in ways that even 20 years ago were not possible. 
That, that's amazing. You know, I, I'd like to jump in here and just kind of insert a comment because I know that sometimes we can think of things like the Jesus film or some, some of the similar kinds of things as maybe being passe or hokey, but they're not, right? Because if God can use a donkey to speak to a prophet, Amen. God can use anything to speak to anyone. And my encouragement would be not to be dismissive of any of these kinds of tools. Yes, that you know, it's the people of God who carry his presence, but God can use these things to, to, to impact people. I just want to go ahead. Go ahead. You're exactly right. I mean, the power is in the gospel and, you know, we've seen it and heard it so many different ways that it does become sort of second nature to us. And we sort of uh, gloss over, but for people who uh, have no assurance of salvation in their religion, they just, uh, if you ask a Muslim, for example, do you know that if you were to die tonight that you would uh, be in heaven? Their response almost uniformly will be, inshallah, which means God willing. And the truth is they don't know until the day of judgment whether or not God will say come or go. But when they understand that God has made a way for them, and that Jesus is God's atonement, God's substitute for their sinfulness. And they can have an assurance, a peace in Christ. It makes all the difference in the world. That's great. Now, as, as we think about these Muslim background believers coming to Christ, what are some of the barriers that they face as, as, they're, as they're moving toward Christ? Well, it's, it's true that the biggest barriers uh, or the most obvious barriers are simply Islam itself. Islam is probably, the, I suppose, is the only world religion that was tailor-made to defeat Christianity. I mean, you think about it, it was a world religion that was designed to counter and to combat and to conquer Christianity, and it did a pretty darn good job. <laughs> I mean, for about 13 centuries, it had it rolled back Christianity and assimilated millions and millions of Christians into the house of Islam. So the way they did that was with Sharia law. Sharia means the, the path or the way. And Sharia law has its, I tell people it's like a, a super highway that all roads lead onto it, but no roads lead off. There's no exit ramps. And that's what's happened with uh, with every culture and civilization that Islam has encountered for the last uh, 13 and a half centuries. It's just assimilated them and not let them out. Um, but there's an equal number of great barriers to Muslims coming to Christ that are not in Islam. They're actually within our culture and within our community. And I bring these out in my book. I talk about five barriers that were evident as I, as I listened to the stories of Muslims coming to Christ. And as I studied the history of uh, Islam's encounter with Christianity, I list these as, as contentious Christians when we end up fighting each other and seeing each other as the enemies rather than seeing lostness and seeing the Great Commission as the goal of every Christian, then then uh, Islam uh, is is prevented from hearing the gospel. When we have fear in our hearts and, and a, a hatred that always grows out of fear, that's what I've discovered. When I hear people talk about how much they hate Islam or hate Muslims, it's because they're afraid of Muslims. And, and Islam tries to generate that. But when we allow that fear to take hold, we don't take the gospel of Muslims. When we find ourselves adopting the same patterns that Islam used, such as a sort of a scriptural legalism or a, a cultural 
uh, canonization, when we take our culture and try to make it the way of doing things. Well, that's exactly what Muhammad did in the seventh century. Mm. That's, that's Islam. That's not Christianity. In Christianity, we follow a living Lord, one who's walked with us and promised to be with us even to the ends of the age. And it's a relationship with a living Lord. Islam also loves to, uh, to point to social injustice. When Christians ignore or, um, sometimes participate in social injustice, Islam historically has always been ready to step in and exploit that for the sake of Islam. We saw this uh, all in the early centuries of uh, the Islamic advance when slavery was widespread across uh, North Africa. I used to live in, in Tunisia. I also lived in Egypt for a while. And I studied, you know, how did Islam advance across this area? And then I realized after my studies that when the Arab, small Arab armies came across, they found a place that was uh, filled with slaves. Uh, families that have been slaves for generations and generations, going way back to pre-Christian times. But when the Christians took hold of North Africa, they never challenged the institution of slavery. So what the Arab conquerors did when they came in, they simply said to the slaves, under Islam, no Christian can own a Muslim slave. In other words, if you convert to Islam, you and your children for all the rest of your generations will be free. Well, that was, a, that was a social injustice that Christians had ignored. And as a result of that, Islam took advantage of it. And we're seeing the same thing here in America, where the only real advance of Islam, apart from immigration, has taken place inside prison cults and among African Americans who feel the sting still of, of their ancestors' slavery and of the civil rights struggle. And Islam says, we will get you your civil rights. We will demand it. And for some African-Americans, that's been an appealing message. The final barrier that I point to in my book, I talk about the ignorance and apathy and the fact that in America, really for all of our history, we have been able to ignore the Islamic challenge because it was sort of an old world challenge. You know, the Europeans faced it for 13 centuries, but we had an ocean that separated us from the House of Islam. Well, all that changed on uh, September 11th, mm-hmm. 2001, and now we're finding that uh, we can no longer afford to be ignorant or apathetic about the House of Islam. We need to understand it. We need to pray for it. We need to engage it, and we need to be a part of what God is doing as that wind is blowing through Muslim communities all across the world. Well, thank you for sharing that. Before we go on, I'd like to key in just a little bit because you had shared that, you know, for the last couple of centuries, we've been able to essentially ignore Islam to, I mean, to kind of put it bluntly. And some of the things that we talk about and some of the things that we see in the news can generate this fear that you also talked about, Mm. this hatred, this anger. And, you know, we know from scripture that that's, that, that we don't wrestle against, against flesh and blood. I'm kind of getting tied over my words here. We don't, we don't wrestle flesh and blood. We wrestle these powers and principalities. Have you seen any ways that we can begin to address these kinds of things? Well, the beginning is always prayer. You know, that's uh, it may sound passe also, but it's such a, such a powerful beginning point. Um, this summer in the month of June, we'll start the Muslim month of Ramadan. And I encourage people, if they, they'll just go to their laptop computer and type in 30 days of prayer. 
and they'll see a website of 30 Days of Prayer for the Muslim World, and they'll see daily prayer guides that each day during the month of Ramadan, they can be praying for and learning about the Muslim world. Uh, I tell people almost in jest, if you don't know what to pray, just ask God to save Muhammad. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, well, about a third of the Muslim world is named Muhammad. And if you ask God to save Muhammad, (laughs) then you can't go wrong because at some point you're going to bump into your doctor. You're going to bump into someone uh, who works at your office and his name is Muhammad. You can say, hey, I've been praying for you. It's also good to, to, uh, as you pray, to realize that you're taking on the heart of God. Prayer doesn't originate with us. It really originates with God. And it comes from God to us on behalf of people who don't know God. And after a while, we begin taking on the heart of God. And as we take on God's heart, we'll find that that fear is replaced with a love and a compassion for Muslims who desperately need salvation. They need Christ. And uh, as that happens, then we'll start seeing Muslims differently. And I've got some of the greatest friends I've ever known are people with names like Muhammad, people with names like Nabil and and, and Aisha and Amal, uh, people who formerly walked in darkness, just like I did. But they met Jesus Christ, and he transformed them. And now they say things like, oh, my brother Shahadat used to say to me, he said, you know, I was left for dead twice after I came to faith in Christ. I was beaten, I was tortured. He said, but they can cut my body into a thousand pieces, and every piece will cry out, Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, that's the kind of guy I want to walk with. That's the kind of guy that I see as my brother, and that I see as an inspiration. And I hope that all of us will begin to find those Muslims in whose heart they're having dreams and visions. They're having a restlessness, and we can point them to the Word of God in their own language. They can meet the same Jesus that reached into our darkness and saved us. Yeah, that that's, again, just such a great reminder that we all start at the same place with this complete need for Christ. Absolutely. Now, I'd like to circle back a little bit to talk about these movements. What can we do to participate in the movements that you've been seeing? Well, I've, I've made several suggestions in the book of things that we can do. And like I said, it does begin with prayer. When we pray, we, uh, we take on the heart of God, but it doesn't stop there. As we begin to understand what God is, uh, what God is feeling for these people, then we can begin to uh, support some of the ministries that have been effective in reaching out to Muslims. And that's the exciting thing is today there are more ministries that are having an impact on uh, the Muslim world than ever before. I talk about many of these in my, in my book but also that you you hear them reflected in the testimonies that are captured in the book. Uh, we shouldn't expect Muslims to pay for their own evangelization. That's just not right. That's our job to support those ministries, and we need to be doing that. Uh, we, we also need to participate in those. I think that some of the people who read these stories are going to be moved to say, you know, God, if you can use me, I want to join uh, the faithful cloud of witnesses who stepped into the darkness and said, Lord, if you can use me, I want you to use me. Now, for others who feel like maybe God isn't calling them into the Muslim world, I've got good news for them, too, and that is that God's bringing the Muslim world to them. Uh, the Muslim world is coming to America as never before. Um, I just came back last week from uh, New York City where I was uh, working with a ministry up there called Global Gates. And these are missionaries who formerly worked in the Muslim world and in other parts of the 1040 window. But they've come back to America because they've seen that there are tens of thousands of their people group living in the cities of the United States. 
And so they're engaging these Muslims who have immigrated to Queens, to Harlem, to Bronx, to San Francisco, to Nashville. To uh, We've got large Kurdish communities in Nashville. We've got uh, Pushtun Afghan communities in the San Francisco Bay Area, Nebraska. Uh, there are many more Syrian refugees who are now starting to come into Colorado and, and all over America now. We're seeing Muslims coming into our neighborhood, and we can minister to them. And I want to give a quick little definition of ministry. This came from uh, one of my uh, missionary colleagues working in the Muslim world. He said, ministry is answering the prayers of lost people. Hmm. And I like that because it requires us to understand what is their heart's desire? What is the yearning that they, they have in their heart? And how can we address that? And as we address them through ministry, then we can take that final step, which is to share our faith with Muslims. Now, I know that's, that's daunting in and of itself for, for many Christians, but I want to encourage them. There's been some breakthroughs uh, in how we can share our faith with Muslims that's seeing great results. I mentioned one of them, this book, Any Three, that's come out of uh, Indonesia. Uh, you can, again, do a search or go to our website, uh, churchplanningmovements.com, and visit our bookstore. And you'll see uh, Any Three is one of the books that's listed there that was written by a, uh, a missionary in Indonesia. Uh, you'll see the camel method, which is one of the ways that... Uh, Muslims coming to faith in Christ said, this is how we're sharing with our family and friends. We're starting where they are, and we're bridging them from their world into the New Testament. If I can share, Brian, just one more instance. You know, we've had a lot of people say, uh, uh, have you heard about dreams and visions in the Muslim world? And, you know, we have. I'm I'm a, I'm a Baptist. Part of what that means is I don't necessarily come from the world of dreams and visions, but uh, I would be lying if I didn't say that we encounter those all across the Muslim world. And oftentimes, uh, a Muslim will, will tell us, yeah, I had this recurring dream, and there was this this person. I don't know if who it was, but he was just glowing bright as light. And I don't know who it was, but he was reaching out to me. And sometimes they'll say he was holding a book and extending a book out to me. I've heard that now for 25 years across the Muslim world. It's become so common that one of my one of my colleagues, one of my friends, named Kevin. Kevin says, you know, when he hears that, he'll even ask people, have you had dreams lately? And they'll say, yeah, I have this dream. And they'll tell him about this being glowing white. And he said, do you know who that is? And and the guy will say, you know, I don't know who that is. I wish I knew. And Kevin will simply open up his Bible. And if possible, in the language of the person he's talking to, in case they're from another language culture. And he'll turn to Matthew chapter 17. He'll just, he won't read it to the guy. He'll hand it to him. He said, read these first few verses here. And the fellow will open it up and he'll read. And it says this in Matthew chapter 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And in verse 2, it says, There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And when this Muslim reads this, his eyes get as big as saucers. He says, that's the guy. (laughs) That's the one in my dreams. Who is this? And then Kevin will say, why don't you just keep that book and read for yourself? And let's get back together next week and tell me what you find. And that power of a combination of the Bible being translated into their language, the process of discovery, discovering for themselves rather than having someone tell them your religion is wrong and this is the right way, but they discover for themselves. And then the Holy Spirit's activity in their heart, convicting them of their need for salvation. 
Those things together, like the fullness of time, are converging to bring Muslims to faith in Jesus Christ. That's a, that's amazing. Uh, now, Dr. Garrison, we have just a, f- a few minutes left. I would like to be sensitive to, to your time and also to the people listening. But like I mentioned, we did have a couple of questions that some of my Facebook friends m- mm-hmm. mentioned. Are you okay if we address those? Sure. In fact, one of them I think I just did with yeah. the dreams and visions. But yeah, yeah let's go from yeah. there. Paul had asked about the, the dreams and visions. Now, uh, both Scott and Alan had some questions about the best way to to start a conversation with a Muslim friend about mm-hmm. Jesus, uh, to open up that conversation without being offensive, and then to to share your faith with them. Can you give us some insight there? Absolutely. This is where this is one reason I keep mentioning that book, Any Three, that my friend Mike Shipman wrote, because it actually starts where we are and where Muslims are, and it gets us down a five step path from getting connected to getting to a decision for Christ. And he he literally, you know, you've heard of the four spiritual laws, right? Sort of four steps to peace with God and so forth. This one has five steps. And step one, I call them the five gets, G-E-T-S, five gets. The first get is get connected. He said, just be a friend. Just get to know him. Talk about, you know, mundane things, wife, kids, you know, where you're from and how are things and so forth. Just get connected, be friendly. Treat him as a person. The second get is get to a God conversation. Fortunately, with Muslims, that's rarely difficult. <laughs> you know, if, if a Muslim's trying to be nice and polite, though, he'll say to you, you know, we, we all believe in the same God. We all worship the same God. In America, they'll often say that, trying to be friendly and disarming. And then you can get to the next get, which is you go from get connected, get to a God conversation. You get to lostness. And the way you do that is say, in your religion, what do you do to please God? And a Muslim will tell you, they'll usually tell you about the five pillars of Islam, that you pray daily and you give alms, you go on the Hajj, you, you observe Ramadan, and you say the Shahada, the, uh, the confession of faith. To get to lostness, after they've told you what they do to please God in their religion, you ask them what we call the Dr. Phil question. You've seen Dr. Phil on TV, right? Yeah. Dr. Phil question is, how's that working for you? Basically, what you do to transition from the God conversation to the lostness conversation is you say, if you were to die tonight, do you know that you would be in heaven? Do you know that God would let you into heaven? And that's when almost every Muslim will say to you, inshallah, you know, God only knows, God willing. Mm -hmm. Then you get to the fourth get. The fourth get is get to the gospel. And you can say, you know what, I believe is a little different. It's not about my goodness, because frankly, you seem like a good person. You're probably better than me, but we both know that that God is perfect. He's holy in every way. And Muslims will agree with you. So if we have even any sin at all, it separates us from God. But it's not about my goodness. It's about God's goodness and what he did for me. You see, he sent Jesus as a substitute for me. He died in my place. He took on himself my sins. And I know that because he was righteous and Muslims agree, they understand that Jesus was righteous, that he was without sin because Jesus was righteous and he took my place. He promised that he was the way, the truth and the life. And that he was going to prepare a place for me if I would just trust in him, that I would be with him for all eternity. That's the fourth get. So the first one was get connected. The second one, get to a God conversation. The third one, get to lostness. And a Muslim is actually telling you he has no assurance. He's telling you he's lost. The fourth one then is throw him a rope, get to the gospel. And the fifth get is get to a decision. And you you can say to your Muslim friend, look, I like you. I'd like to know that you're going to be in heaven someday too. 
Can I pray for you? Can I pray that, that God would give you his gift of salvation in Jesus Christ? And what we found is that Muslims realize by that time that you're not preaching at them, you're not attacking them, you're not condemning them, you're really reaching out to them as one lost person to another lost person, but one of you has found Christ, and you want the other one to have Christ as well. My friend Mike said we actually sent out in in Southeast Asia, we sent out uh, over the course of several years 20,000 volunteers who shared mouth to ear this five-step pathway to salvation. He said, out of those 20,000, we had 8,000 Muslims who said, yes, would you pray with me? Wow. Now, of those 8,000, 1,000 of them agreed to come back the next week and then subsequently were uh, brought into small groups to study the prophet stories is what they call them, you know, the stories from the Old Testament, basically creation to Christ, the stories of the prophets, and how each one of them pointed to one day that a Savior would come who would take on himself the sins of the world, so that these Muslims who had prayed to invite Christ into their life were now understanding the fullness of who Christ was. And that has swept through Southeast Asia and now spread into other parts of the Muslim world as Christians now know what to say to Muslims and how to say it in a way that will bring them from getting connected to getting to a decision for Jesus Christ. That's great. You know, we are coming up on the end of our time. If someone wanted to get connected with you, um, what's the best way for them to do that? The best thing is to go to our website. Go to windinthehouse.org, windinthehouse.org. And uh, there will be a button there they can type uh, connect. And I get emails uh, several times uh, throughout the week from people all over the world. Uh, with various questions and comments, and uh, and I, I love to be able to respond to them. So I look forward to hearing from your listeners. Well, that's great. And for those listening, again, in case you're driving to work or something, all of that will be in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash David Garrison. Now, Dr. Garrison, thanks so much for being with us. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. It's been my pleasure. That's all the time that we had with David Garrison. Now, if you've been subscribed to the show for some time, you know that we definitely deviated from our normal format. And I'm really interested in hearing your your feedback on that, whether you liked it, whether you didn't like it, because I'm always trying to level up my game. I'm always trying to do things a little bit better. So I like testing things out and I I liked being able to focus on the research that David had done. If you have any feedback for me about that, you can always send that to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Or if you'd like to, you can leave a comment in the comments section in the show notes, which will be at engagingmissions.com slash David Garrison or 53 is in episode 53. Now, whether you're here for the very first time and you're perhaps connected to David or you found me through search or something like that, or whether you've been subscribed for some time, it means a lot to know that you're here. My heart's desire is that you've been encouraged, that something that we shared touched you and has transformed your life, even in a small way, because my heart's desire is that your relationship with Christ would grow. If you haven't subscribed to the show and you'd like to, perhaps you want to make sure that you don't miss any of the interviews that we have with missionaries or researchers like David Garrison, you can subscribe to the show by visiting engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. There you'll find a link that takes you right to iTunes as well as about a two and a half minute video that shows you what you need to know in case you're not sure how to subscribe to a show in iTunes. It also has information about leaving a rating and review. And if you're interested, if you like the show and you want to leave that rating and review, That would really mean a lot to me. Not only does it help me know whether or not I'm meeting your needs, but it might also help somebody else find the show. 
As you may or may not know, iTunes and the other podcast directories are basically big search engines, and your ratings and your reviews help people find the show. And then also that specific review that you leave might help somebody know whether or not they would connect with what we shared on David's interview or perhaps another interview that you liked. So if you'd like to do that, that would mean a lot to me. And finally... Again, I'm just so thankful that you're here. It means a lot to know that you've stopped, that you've taken 30 minutes or so out of your time to listen to what we've shared here, to connect with what David has going on. And if you want to minister to, you know, to know a little bit more about what's going on in the world, I would definitely recommend that you check out the resources that he mentioned. Those, again, are linked up in the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash David Garrison. This has been the Engaging Missions Radio Show. Thanks so much for listening. May God richly bless you. We'll see you next week.